told people eventually that I was leaving, they they wondered what was wrong with me. <laughs> and and what happened was in 2007 I turned I was turning the right young age of 50 and I really started to reexamine what I wanted the rest of my life to count for. I had had some really great success, but it was time to move on into something new. So uh, listen, I'm a woman of faith. I took a day off from work. And I told God that we had a day to spend together, and he had to hurry up and get me where I needed to go. <laughs> so when when my morning prayer time didn't really produce any results, I decided to go on the treadmill to show how sacrificial I was going to be. And lo and behold, I turned the TV on to distract myself. And who was being interviewed on the TV but Dan Miller? You on a talk show called Living the Life, which is a, a talk show that had two women hosts, and I heard you speak, Dan, and you were talking about um, No More Mondays, your book. And I thought, you know what? I like this guy. I like what he has to say. I ran out and bought um, that book and 48 Days to the Work You Love, read both of them, and then ultimately contacted you for coaching. And that's really how my whole process began. Um, and, and then moving into my own business, I didn't do it quickly, as you know. I had a three-year transition plan because I had a hefty income to overcome, and I also had an obligation to the organization contractually that I had to live out. So it was a slow transition for me, but a powerful one. Wow. You know, I did. I had never heard you say that you saw me on. That was a. That was a CBN, rate or That's TV right. program. That's absolutely had, right. I had never heard that particular piece. Okay, so we got together and started to figure out what this would look like. Now, again, you were not in a position of weakness. You were not struggling. You were not laid off, fired, unemployed. You were extremely employed, extremely valued, extremely well compensated, and yet there's something about the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Now, yeah, for a lot of people, absolutely. looking at where you were, I mean, that would be extremely attractive to have that. What kind of a person, when we start to talk about disc personality, you know, are there certain kind of personality or combinations of such that make a person see that grass is greener on the other side of the fence more likely than not? Or is it really not a function of personality style but something else? Yeah, I think it's more passion and purpose than anything. I think how quickly we pull the trigger or how definitely we pull the trigger or even how we pull the trigger has a lot to do with our personality style. But I think that call on on our lives is is when we take the time to just be more introspective and look back, look inside, and then say, you know what, I can make that future whatever I want it to be. And for you, that was to do what you had done effectively in the company you were working with, but to help leaders understand their strengths. So talk to us a little bit about how you do that. How do you help somebody understand the strengths that are going to have the most leverage for them? Well, you know, I think one of the things that's really been so apparent for me through the years is that the very things that we tend to do extraordinarily well that just generally don't even seem like work (laughs) is a natural strength. And because it comes so easily to us, we tend to discount it as being highly valuable. And even when I was in corporate life, you know, and I was working in some of those other countries, being able to tap into what somebody's innate abilities were really 
easily was very helpful for me to make sure I would help sort of right fit them in the organization in a role. And for, for many of us, you know, some of the – there are lots of jobs that we might do. There are lots of tasks we might do. But there are two or three things that we do exceptionally well, and that's really where our strength space is. Okay. How do we recognize that? Now, you're big on using the DISC profile, which mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners have done. So we have the DISC, Dominance, Influencing, Steadiness, Compliance. So you're big on that. Is that the best way to start to identify our strengths, or what can we do in addition to that to recognize what is it that's going to allow us to lead effectively? Yeah, such a great question. You know, that is a part of the process, but it's not the process itself. And when I'm working with clients, I take them first of all through, you know, let's look at what you're most passionate about. What's captured your attention in recent times? You know, what are the things that you're longing for? What are the, you know, the issues of the day that you find yourself compelled either thinking about, reading about, talking about, writing about? So that's the very first step is really getting back in touch with our passions, the things that our heart is telling us we need to pay attention to. And then from there, Dan, you know, I tend to work with clients in a very similar fashion to you. Um, I, I have them take a look back, not to, not to, you know, look back in history and look at all their failures, but the opposite, to look back in history and let's look at some of, let's look at your timeline and let's look at some of the best successes you've had. It could be you were the line leader in kindergarten or it could be you had your poem, you know, published in the college newspaper or maybe it was a major work project or, or some hobby that you have that you really enjoy. But let's look at the, the things that you've done in the past that you've been really successful at. And then we look at what are the themes. Were you usually analyzing? Were you usually connecting with other people? Were you usually making decisions? Were you usually being very creative? And we start to look at how those themes work together, almost like in a, like a Rubik's Cube in a multidimensional way. And then the DISC information for many people helps to validate what we've already seen by taking a look back. Ah, that, that's a great perspective. Yeah, it shouldn't be a surprise. It should validate what you already know if you've been taking that introspective look. Now, Deb, the way you position that, it puts a lot of value on having some life experience. Now, I know you've worked with very young children as well as you know, mature leaders, but is there a growing opportunity or clarity just as we get older based on life experience? How young can we start to get a clear indication of how a person is going to lead? Oh, that's such a great question. You know, I I see those indicators, they definitely show up early on in children. In fact, they're actually their clearest when we're children. You know, young children don't have that that filtering process yet set in place where society or the or the world tells them what they can and can't do, what they should and shouldn't think, how they should or shouldn't act. And they tend to be very carefree and very excited about something that comes very natural to them. I mean, I remember even as a youngster, um, I'm the oldest of seven kids, and I remember being the oldest that a lot of times my parents, you know, would try to 
have me sort of watch the rest of the family. You know, both mom and dad worked. And I would share with them that, listen, my job wasn't to lead the family. My job was to be part of the family. So my very sort of choleric style showed up very early on. Um, but yet when I wanted to take charge, when I wanted to be in control, you couldn't stop me. And and that was very true for me as a young child. And I think that's true for a lot of us. People that are, you know, young children today that are very analytical. They love to read. They love music. They love thinking things through. They're 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 really inspired by things and how they work together. That is such a good indicator of some of the things that will capture their attention later on and where they will be leading from the front from. Absolutely. Now, you know, Ashley, my daughter, and she has three little girls. And, yeah, we don't need to wait a whole long time to start seeing those little personalities develop. Now, it's easy because as parents, we tend to have a particular style. It's easy to try to make our children clones of us. How do we avoid that, embrace a child's unique personality when it perhaps is very different than our own? Well, that's that's a tough thing for a lot of parents because, you know, when, when that child is put in our arms, we have aspirations for that child. And oftentimes those aspirations have to do with what we didn't accomplish yet in our lives. But Ouch. I think <laughs> it's true, you know. I, I think one of the things that very important for us as parents to realize is that when we when we are bringing up our child, we can we can take one of two paths. We can try to mold them into what we believe they should be from a strange perspective. Listen, there's value family values, yes, we have to mold them. You know, faith values, of course. But when it comes to their strengths, God's already done the work. We just need to we just need to honor the work he's already done and give them opportunity to flourish in many different ways to see which one they flourish the most in. Okay, now let's let's just bring this up to a real-life application. We keep hearing, you know, you have to be a leader, and leaders are valued more as part of a team. They're paid more. If we take the DISC personality profile, and somebody is a high SC. So they're very comfortable being more behind the scenes. They are very nurturing, kind, compassionate. They're good with details. They keep things organized and in place. We love having people like that as part of a team. But are they destined to not really be leaders? Are we talking about somebody has to be aggressive to be a leader? Not at all. First of all, leadership, let's just go back to what the word leadership really is. My definition of leadership is one that I adopted from John Maxwell that I think he adopted from Peter Drucker that basically says leadership is influence. So everyone has the ability to influence outcomes, to influence other people. It's just the method we use is somewhat different. So while Donald Trump may do it in a very aggressive style and Mother Teresa who was a very strongly S and C wired person, very S, be honest with you, she did it in very subtle ways by garnering and nurturing relationships and, and garnering respect for who she was and what she did. So irrespective of how we're wired, we can lead, we can influence outcomes, we can we can lead ourselves and our businesses for sure. It's just how we do it is a little different. 
Now, this brings up uh, another question related to that, and that is, we go back to, again, a little bit of the grass is greener at the side of the fence, where people are a particular style. It doesn't matter where we are. If somebody is a high D, they're very dominant and aggressive, they may wish, oh, I wish I were not so forthright and blunt. I hurt people's feelings, and people feel rejected by me. I wish I were softer and more compassionate. And then we have somebody who is very nurturing and compassionate saying, you know, I wish I had the guts to speak up. How much room is there and how much should there be the desire to move around in those personality styles as we develop our leadership? Oh, I love that question. I think as soon as any strength can become a weakness if it's used in the wrong direction. And as soon as we see that we've taken something that we do well and we've turned that dial to the point where it's actually becoming a, a harmful or detrimental to our ability to connect with people or affect a great result, then we know we need to dial it back. I kind of liken it to um, taking a, a nail file and sort of sort of rounding out the edges, you know. Now, probably no surprise to some folks that are listening in, if you know DISC, I'm pretty high D. So I I really tried, tried so hard, and I fail a lot, but I try very hard to keep my edges a little more rounder than sharper, but they certainly come out sharp sometimes. And it's something that I have to be hyper aware of. Just as somebody who may be like my husband, who's a very SD-wired person and also a tremendous leader, by the way. He leads a school and he owns his own business. Um, For him, for my husband Greg, he needs to be able to step up and be more decisive at times and not get stuck in analysis paralysis. So when he sees his ability to analyze is becoming too extreme and he's not making a decision, he's not moving something forward, then he looks to sort of round out his edges and, and not let that strength be detrimental. Oh, that, that's such a great point to just recognize. I mean, that's the power of understanding ourselves well so that we understand when that strength can become a weakness. So no matter what it is, if overused, it can tend to harm our best efforts. Now, again, the the question, just one leads right into another. We could go for a long time, I'm sure. Again, if you're listening, if you're online, if you're in the chat room with Alan Jackson, the 48days.net brainstorming group, you can just write a question there. I'll see that. If you're online and our other site, you can just write it in there, the little chat box. I'll see that pop up as well. So be putting those in there. I'm reviewing questions that are coming in. We're going to switch to those in a little bit here with Deb so you can ask her your particular questions. A lot of unique questions about this area, Deb, and how it affects our leadership. But here's one that I want you to unpack for us a little bit. When somebody starts in a position and they show themselves to be effective, and reliable, dependable, we tend to reward that person by moving them into something new and different. If somebody is a great teller at the bank, so they're very compassionate, they're good listeners, customers love them, ask them for name, at the end of the year, we reward that person by making them a loan officer. So they're required to do some different things. They're now in more administrative things and kind of in a different position. They struggle through that a couple of years and we reward them 
by making them a branch manager. Where now, instead of just being nurturing and a good listener, they're told, unless you get out there, beat the streets, come up with 13 new commercial accounts every month, your job is on the line. How can we avoid doing that? How can we embrace where somebody is and allow them progression in what they do without moving them away from the behavioral area that fits them well? You know, it is unfortunate that such a common challenge in a lot of larger companies because especially with the recessions that happen through the years, you know, they've gotten very lean and they've asked folks to take on more responsibility. But, you know, there's the term, you know, you Peter principal someone out, right? So they were just amazing in one thing. Now you give them more responsibility or a completely different job and you're asking them to transfer that strength and skill to another job which they can, but sometimes the job that you're asking them to do doesn't really need their strengths. It needs someone else's strengths. And that's why it's so important for us to really understand our strengths very well. What I do love is the more progressive organizations and really smart people out there in building their careers, what they're doing, and and a lot of this, Dan, you cover so much of this in your writing. They're taking what they are naturally gifted at doing, the things that they just really rock and <laughs> rock at, and they are finding ways to serve in better ways in their existing role, adding more value to that organization than the organization had before, giving them more responsibility, giving them the ability to influence better results, and staying true to who they really are and how they best serve. I'll use an yeah. example if I I'll use an example if I could. You know, um I, I was working with an organization once and one of the individuals I had seen in that organization is somebody who was very people oriented, extremely relational, so good at meeting people and just cultivating great great business relationships and really good at connecting people together. Um, I called this person when I met them. I said, my goodness, you're like a golden connector. You just like connect people. You naturally know who needs to meet each other. It's just a real gift. Now, in that person's job, they had been transferred from sales (laughs) to marketing. And the marketing piece required creativity. This person did have some creative bent to them, but that wasn't their real overriding strength. Their real strength was that relationship piece. And when that shift happened, when that promotion happened, everybody kept scratching their head saying, you know, what happened to Pete? You know, he used to be so good. What happened? Well, nothing happened to Pete other than Pete was put in a role where his very strengths couldn't really flourish well. And and that's something we all sort of need to just be aware of. If we're trying to impress our boss, if we're trying to get a promotion, we we can find ways to take what we already do well and find ways to add value to the organization with it. And the same is true for those of us that are building our own businesses. We don't necessarily have to be all things to all people, but our area of expertise, we should try to go as deep as we possibly can with that in helping and serving others. Yeah, great point, great framing of that. Now, you've mentioned a couple times that you moved out of corporate America into doing your own business. Describe, help us understand a little bit 
you you said that you're a high D. So we kind of expect, well, gee, that's easy. You're going to walk into business. You're going to be the director, the motivator, and everything and make things happen. What if somebody is a different personality style? What are their chances for success in having their own business, and what might that business look like? Uh, that is a trick question, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because even though I'm a high D, I was married, I'm married to a high S for 35 years. So I, when I said, honey, I want to give up my really lucrative multiple six-figure and income-a-year job and have start my own company with nothing, he said, well, no, we can't do that. Like, that's not even possible. At first, he was, he was like, no way, don't rock the boat, baby. This is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. And as we started to talk about my reasons why, you know, he understood and, and he certainly embraced the change. But here's the thing. Our chances of success are 100%. Now, here's why I say that. No matter whether we are D, I, S, or C, we have strengths and we have liabilities. And if we maximize our strengths and we limit our liabilities, we find ways to work around them, we outsource them, whatever we need to do, our chances of success are 100% if we take action. What I find, Dan, is that for, for many of us, we 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 like to put our toe in the water, but we don't want to jump in because with that fear of failure, we all go through it. It never goes away. At least it hasn't for me. But if I don't push myself beyond that moment, I will be a captive of that fear forever. And and that's something, whether we are D and I and S or C, all of us suffer from that. Yeah. Uh, Deb, I'm going to weave in some of our listener questions here. I'm going to start doing that because we're getting so many in, and I'm eager to get to them. And it fits, like with what you just described there, Cece says, as a high D, I seem to lose sight of the other aspects. What can I do to be more S and C? Oh, well, we can't, we have to, you know, to my own, to my own self be true. You know, I could try to be very analytical and CC, and maybe you could too. And we might be good at it, but we'll never be great at it. And if instead of trying to make up for what we think is a weakness or a hole in making ourselves well-rounded, the best thing for us is to have other players that we work with that fill that role for us. I'll give you an example, Cece. You know, being a high D, I'm not exactly the detailed person, right? So I need a detailed person. So I have a virtual business manager, and she's my detailed person. But I also have a 26-year-old daughter who's amazing with grammar. So when I have something that needs to be published, and if I've written it, I've asked her to, you know, give it the once over for me and clean it up and make sure it sounds good and make sure the grammar is correct. You know, work with other people to help round that out for you. You know, a winning baseball team or winning football team doesn't just have a quarterback. And the quarterback doesn't try to play all of those different positions. It takes a team. Yeah. Now, in light of that, I mean, what what are the dangers you know, of somebody saying, "Well, I wish I were more something else"? I mean, is there a danger of becoming mediocre in a lot of things? Now, you're part of the John Maxwell team as well, and I've heard John talk about, you know, a lot of times what we do is work on our weaknesses or what we perceive as weaknesses, and we end up being mediocre at everything. 
John says work you know, 85% of the time where you're strong and like 10% learning new things and 5% on your weak areas. How, how do we, is that an unrealistic way to frame this? That if you are a high D and you're not in good in, in details, do you even frame it in a way that says I'm weak in that area or I'm not good in that area? Or is there better verbiage to kind of position ourselves? Well, that's, well, that's a great way to ask that question, Dan. Thanks for asking it that way because I think it was um, Nadal, no, not Nadal, Roger Federer, great tennis player. He said once, it was something along the lines of, I have strengths and I have weaknesses, and I could work on my weaknesses. It will make me a more well-rounded player, but I won't win anymore. Oh, and that's and I think that yeah, and I think that's really true. I, you know, I have to acknowledge that I do have things that I'm not as good at, um, and sometimes I'll even you know maybe poke fun at myself, or sometimes I'll feel bad about that. I'll feel inadequate about that. That there's something, maybe there's something I should be doing better. And and gee, you know, maybe I should you know become more analytical. Um, uh, more nurturing, more sensitive, that type of thing. And maybe, and to some degree, if it's going to hurt someone's feelings, that's true. I have to be better at rounding out those edges. But if we don't focus on our strengths, our strengths, instead of being at their highest level, it's just like a muscle that will atrophy. And then those strengths no longer make us successful. They no longer are our differentiator out there in the marketplace. Golly, I love that. I love that. I love that Roger Federer example. If he works on his weaknesses, he'll be good, but he'll stop winning. Oh, love that. Now, here's a related question that comes from Cece. Uh, she's not afraid to ask questions. She's like you, a high D, so she's jumping right in there. But I want to tie this one in because it relates to this. She says, I find my D a, a challenge as a female. How do I make the leadership as a D, not so intimidating. Now, we're dealing with some real cultural biases here where women are, it's still a challenge to be a high D. That's seen as a masculine characteristic in many ways. How can she be a D, embrace that, and not be intimidating? Cece, I am so glad you asked that because you are speaking my language, sister. You really are. <laughs> you know, it is it is a challenge. I will say that it's a challenge because we're we are conditioned to believe that, you know, it's gonna be a problem. And in some cultures it's absolutely a problem. I'm gonna use an example, Dan, if I could. When I was um, in my corporate gig, one of the, you know, I was opening up all these countries, and at one point we're opening up the country of Germany. And so it's a, it's a very male-dominated culture, too. And I was um, the lead, you know, senior executive uh, in that charge, and I was meeting with a construction manager outside of Munich, Germany, and Karlsfeld, Germany, about a build-out of of this raw building we were leasing. And the guy came to the meeting, and I had my interpreter there, who was a man, and he said to the gentleman, you know, he introduced, the gentleman introduced me, my colleague introduced me, and then he said, oh, when is the, you know, when is the executive coming? 
Oh. And, and I understood enough German to know that when he said Fräulein, <laughs> in not such a nice way, he was not exactly thrilled that he was meeting with a woman. And there I had go. two choices. I could either take a step back and accept that fact and let, let my colleague take the league, lead, or I could try to go nose to nose with the guy, which is kind of what my dewired style wanted to do was to say, look here, buddy, I'm going to be the one who decides how much you're going to get paid, if you're even going to get this job. You know, I can decide if you're going to get bonused if you get it done early. You know, you're going to meet with me and, put, you know, stick my finger in his chest. But I wanted to win the war, not just the battle. I needed mm -hmm. to open up this office. So I said to my colleague in English, very quietly, I said, listen, make like you're the boss. I'm your secretary. Let's roll this thing forward. And I was fine with that because that's what was required in that culture. And sometimes we, whether we're women, whether we are in, in, in a minority racially, whether we are different looking physically, whether we are a different religion than someone we're meeting with, there's always going to be somebody that's going to think that there's something about us that doesn't resonate with them. And we have to not focus on that. Instead, you know, Find the common ground. If you're a high D and you're with another person and you are talking to them about results or you're talking to them about a business concept, find what the common ground is and stick to that. And try not to pay attention to those peripheral issues and just stay focused on what you want to accomplish, CC. And I think you're going to find that that's going to carry you far away. There's always going to be somebody who's not going to be pleased with us for whatever reason, and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to throw a hot potato in here real quick, one of my own, before we go back to some of the listener questions. Again, if you're listening and you've got a question for Deb, we've got a lot of discussion going on here and in the chat room with Alan Jackson. So just put your questions in there. We'll be delighted to address as many as we can here in our remaining time. Deb, I know that you had a very brief time spent in college. I'll never forget how I had to pick myself up off the floor from laughing when I saw that piece in your initial coaching profile where you had spent 45 minutes in college, uh, this, this addresses a related issue to what we're talking about here. We assume that to lead well, you need to be a particular kind of personality. I mean, that's a, that's a common assumption. We assume that you have to have a college degree, and you're very quick to educate people. It's not really about the degrees. It's the degree to which you use your strengths. You were already in a position where you were paid more than most college graduates ever dream of. You don't have a college degree, but you have maximized using your strengths, both in a corporate setting and in running your own business. Address that a little bit, how that can come to the forefront as being your your strength being the thing that puts you in a position of both leadership and financial compensation rather than having to lean on those traditional cultural parameters of what might open doors for us. That, that's a very long question. I apologize, but just summarize that kind of what you've done and what encouragement that you can give to others. Well, first, uh, you know, at first, I wouldn't share that story with people, Dan, to be honest with you. For many years, I felt horrible that I didn't have a degree because I felt like a quitter. I mean, who who leaves college after 45 minutes? 
I did. I mean, it's just silly. But but here's the thing. I think one of the things that became very apparent to me, my husband has uh, multiple degrees, brilliant guy. Our daughter uh, just graduated her master's a couple of years ago. So I believe in education. How that education is acquired can come through different ways. And when we look at our strengths, we get the best education when we're taking something that we are really good at and we find a way to pour it into something. Now, I was working with a client um, last year, and this was a, a gentleman who was, he had had um, a, a job, a traditional job in finance, and he, he really loved training, to be honest with you. That was where he wanted to spend most of his time. He kind of, I think he almost purposefully had a high turnover rate in his department just so he could keep training new people because he just loved training folks. So wow. what's interesting, in the company that he worked for, there was no opportunity for him to do that. So, you know, we had him go out and approach a not-for-profit, and he actually started a training program for them to get his sea legs with training to see, do you really enjoy this? Is, something, is this something you really want to do? He had no degree in being a trainer. He had no organizational development certificate or any background in how to create courses that would be, you know, inspiring and informational to people today in different learning modalities. What the guy loved, he loved being able to help people have a new level of awareness in a technical skill that they thought they didn't, they couldn't uh, gain. So I, I think what's been very clear to me, and I've seen it happen in so many people's lives, is that the strength is what makes the difference. You know, we look at somebody like Steve Jobs, another great example. He never finished college either, but yet he went on to revolutionize communication and comp computing. I mean, you think about it, yeah, Bill Gates too, but, you know, I got to tell you, in September 2007, when my husband put an iPhone in my hand and I said to him, why'd you get me this? And he said, because I know you're going to love this. And mm -hmm. after 30 minutes, he was right. And and I yeah, think yeah. that it, it's just sticking with that strength zone and just honing that skill at its, at its highest level makes us who we are at our best. Okay. Awesome. Let me just start going through some listener questions here. David from Marietta says, I'm one of those folks who seem to be constantly stuck at the start line and never actually begin. What is your advice for stopping the fear and procrastination and actually begin doing something in a niche that looks promising? Mm. Great question. It's David, right? Yes, David. Yep. David, I would say one of the things that I have found that works very successfully, especially when we get stuck in that mode, is first of all just to make sure we have a very clear vision of what we really want. Sometimes we have a vision of what we think we want, and then we have influencers also coming in and telling us what they think we want. And sometimes we stay on that starting line because we're not so convinced that the finish line is really where we want to be right now. So that's the first thing to look at is just make sure you have real good clarity as to what you really want. The next thing is that, that procrastination and that, that fearfulness when we get stuck, a lot of times what works best is to break it down into smaller chunks. So 
instead of doing the whole, you know, the whole big action all at once, do something, take a step, see that you've done well, see that it feels okay, and then go forward and take the next step. Instead of looking at 10 steps ahead, just take the step, just the immediate first step, and try to just stay in that moment. I know for a lot of us, when we forecast too long-term, we think too far into the future, it can become overwhelming. So if we just break it down to just for the moment, what's the next step I need to take, that should help you to not be as overwhelmed if that's part of the challenge. Yeah, awesome. Great advice. You know, sometimes we get too wrapped up in trying to eliminate the fear. Well, you just you described earlier that you have fear at this point, even things we do well. You walk into yeah. the front, front of a room where you're going to do a presentation. If you don't have any fear, you're, you're an idiot. I mean, you, mm-hmm. fear is not our enemy. And there's one thing, one of my friends, Jeff Goins, says, you know, when you know you need to do something but you have fear, do it afraid. I love that yeah. line. Just do yeah. it afraid. Take action. My, my friend Paul Martinelli says, jump and build your wings on the way down. <laughs> oh, there you go. Rebecca has a question that you'll resonate with. She says, do you have any tips for women starting a new career in business coaching at age 50? Oh, I do, Rebecca. Boy, first of all, if that's something you're interested in doing, right on. I am so excited for you because I have found that moving into my coaching practice has really allowed for so many of the experiences that I've had in my life to sort of come together and to be able to serve people better. So this is a perfect time, perfect season of your life to be able to do that. The next thing is, is that, you know, as a coach, you have the ability to walk alongside people and rub shoulders with dreamers and people that are doers and people that are moving in different directions. And that is such a energizing environment to be in and as a coach you know we give a lot of energy and uh, mentorship and things to our clients and I have to say one of the benefits is that you get to draw energy because you're inspired by so many of their ideas and actions and the last thing I would say Rebecca is don't think that you can't do it if I can do it, trust me, if if this D-wire New Yorker with 45 minutes of college could do it, anybody can do it. And uh, you just you just stay really focused on what it is that you want and take action. Try serving somebody now. Try it on for size. And, and if I can help at all, Dan can help you. Just the 48 Days community, my goodness, you've got so many great folks there to help. Well, I've seen Rebecca reaching out there, so I'm sure she's going to get a lot of support for what she's doing. You know, sometimes you have people kind of apologize about starting a new career at 50, but how could you possibly do business coaching when you're 25? Nobody would take you seriously. There's the value of having a little life experience where people, it gives you more credibility. So I love to see people who are starting new things at 50 or 55 or 60 because it's not starting from scratch. It's building on the life experience that you bring to the table at that point. Um, Joe from Cleveland says, my wife is a leader in, in her organization. 
a nonprofit, she sometimes struggles with her confidence in the face of criticism, backbiting by subordinates. What's the best way I can support her? That really yeah. relates to, to to personality styles in some ways. I mean, people like you and me, Deb, we kind of let it roll off our back and go on. But if we're a different personality style, that criticism can feel much different. Oh, yeah. It can. Well, first of all, how wonderful to be married to someone like you that you're looking to see how you can support her in that. So congratulations to both of you for that. That's pretty remarkable. And the next thing is, your wife is probably someone who is more supportive and nurturing in nature. And relationships to her are very important, as is loyalty. And when that starts to break down, we start to look introspectively to say, what's wrong with me? Why are they doing this to me? And it's a hard lesson for each of us to learn that Sometimes when people are acting out or reacting in certain ways, it has very little to do with us. It has everything to do with them. There's a book that I would actually recommend um, that you might want to purchase for your wife, and it's called Positive Personality Styles. No, Positive Personality Profiles um, by Dr. Robert Rome, R-O-H-M. And it's a great, it's really a great book to help us to understand different personality styles. And I wonder for your wife, besides you just loving on her and encouraging her and letting her know she's pretty super, that, you know, just helping to arm her with other information on different people's personalities and how to work with them best and what to expect from them when it's going to break down, how it's going to break down, and how it's really not necessarily a reflection on your wife at all. And I just so encourage her in her leadership role. That's great. And, you know, and we want people to be like that, to be sensitive to the criticism of others. We don't want people to be hardcore, hard shell people. My wife, Joanne, as you know, Deb, is a very high S. So she thrives on appreciation from other people and wants to be everybody's friends. And she nurtures everybody that shows up within a mile of our property here and becomes their friend. She had a short stint. She decided she wanted to do something out of the house. She had a short stint managing a clothing store. Well, inevitably, you're going to get employees that don't turn out to be the people you thought they were, and they need to be let go. She could never bring herself to do that. Her method was she would reduce their hours to something where they could not possibly survive on that, and they'd go away. That was her method of getting rid of bad employees. She reduced <laughs> Reduce their hours. <laughs> down it worked, right? Yeah, it did, but it always tickled me because she could not bring herself face-to-face to say, you really aren't cutting it here. You need to go somewhere else. Well, Alan, Alan asked, are there common misconceptions, positive or negative, about any of the DISC personality styles? Hmm. You know, I, I don't know if there's common – it's that common, I think – people will naturally assume when somebody's very aggressive that they're mean. Or people will naturally assume maybe that somebody who's very reserved is, you know, too shy to take charge. Or maybe that somebody who is always reading books, you know, is not able to connect socially. And that's not true at all. You know, those are just going to extremes in any of those styles. So I I don't know that it's that common, Ellen, you know, related to DISC specifically. But, yeah, I think people see certain behaviors and do tend to 
pigeonhole us into certain categories by how we look, by how we sound, by what we do, by what we don't do. You know, there was a wonderful book written a couple of years ago by Susan King called Quiet, where she talked about you know, thriving as an introvert in an extroverted world. And we see even in classrooms for small children, a child that stays over to the side or would prefer to read a book is seen as a problem child. They want to integrate them into the social action of the class. That's not always a good thing. Remember, you have the old E.F. Hutton commercials? Yeah. And I love those. I have friends who are like that, who are very quiet. They're never going to be the center of attention or in the middle of a party. But when they speak, it's worth listening to. Now, I have other friends who, you know, talk incessantly, and they talk so much you just tune them out and never listen to them at all. But, you know, we do make those kind of misconceptions about people. But that's the power of understanding the DISC, I think, so that we can validate not only our own personality style, but that of others as well. And like we've had a couple of questions who are ready, especially in spouses who are have complementary personality styles. That's a wonderful thing. You know, I don't want Joanne to be like me. God forbid. I wouldn't want to live with me. I want to live with her. That's why I chose her. <laughs> and you described that with Jim as well. So we, we can get past those misconceptions. Okay. Uh, Royce Harrell from here in Brentwood says, this is an interesting question. He says, can a person have a strong passion which isn't consistent with their key strengths and still be successful? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So, so let's use an example, Royce. Somebody could have a passion for medicine. They could be passionate about medicine, passionate about health care, passionate about serving humanity through health. Maybe they're meant to be a brain surgeon. Maybe they're meant to be a researcher. Maybe they're meant to be a nurse. Maybe they're meant to be a hospital administrator. So the passion is not necessarily connected with our strengths. The passion tells us where we want to pour our strengths into and then how we pour into that passion would be best served by looking at how we're wired. I oftentimes, then I'll use the example of teachers. You know, you could have somebody who's very highly eye-wired who would be a great trauma teacher, <laughs> right? And then somebody who's very C-wired who would be a great, you know, mathematics teacher. And somebody who's very S-wired who would be great at teaching social studies, right? You know, you're thinking in terms of you could be attracted to a passion or to a cause, but how you serve that cause should really come through your own strength. You know, that's well, we could go on and on about that. Jim Collins talks about the three legs to a stool if we're going to be successful. It has to integrate our passion. It has to blend our talent so that we have to have those two, and we also have to then have an economic model. What's the marketability of those two things coming together? So we see people who have a passion for something where it becomes clear very quickly they don't really have much talent, at least not developed talent there. So they do have to go together. And I, I can't imagine pursuing something with, with just a passion you know, where there's not clear talent to accompany that and vice versa. I mean, they just don't work without each other. So ultimately we have to Line those three things up, passion, talent, and who's going to pay for the combination of those two. 
Now, speaking of medicine, Dr. Clark Gaither has a question here. He says, what were your biggest fears in starting your own business, and how did you deal with them? Oh, great question, Clark. Um, The biggest fear was that I was a fraud. I'll be honest with you. My biggest fear was that all the success that I had enjoyed in corporate life, all of a sudden, as soon as I was self-employed, I felt like maybe I had nothing to do with that. Maybe it really was everybody else. And believe me, there were a lot of people on my team. This was no solo act in corporate life. But there were some contributions I had made, and I suddenly became very fearful that I was woefully inadequate. So I had to really work very strongly on my mindset. The second thing that I had really had to overcome was looking for a paycheck every week because, I, you know, we had to make sure that we had enough of a nest egg built up that I had a little bit of a runway <laughs> to be able to launch my business and not feel like we were going to run out of runway. So that was very important, and that was a big obstacle for me in the beginning because, don't forget, I had been employed as an employee for 30 years. So, you know, that was a big one to change. But I will tell you this. One thing that was really important to me was that the day that I left my corporate life, and, again, I left voluntarily, okay? They threw me a big stinking party. They were wonderful to me. That day I left. My husband picked me up. We spent the night in a castle here in New York uh, with very dear friends of ours for over 30 years. And then that very next morning at 11 a.m., I had a coaching call with a client. I made sure that I moved right into there was a fluid, there was a fluidity from Wednesday to Thursday that life was moving on as usual and just my office was now going to be from home. Wow. You know, Deb, just kind of wrapping up here, a lot of people are intrigued hearing you talk about starting your own business, and that has a lot of attraction for a lot of people. Do you think that anybody can start their own business? And secondarily, do you think everybody should move toward that as their ultimate goal? I don't think that everyone should move towards a business per se because some people um, – they are their their comfort zone is very much more in line with having more of a traditional job. Although even in traditional jobs today, you really have to have more of an entrepreneurial mindset, so that you become creative and that you start to mine opportunities for yourself and for your employer. And I think for a lot of folks, you know, whether you should or shouldn't have your own business, a lot of it does have to do with your unique wiring. And, and your life circumstance. You know, 30 years ago, it would have been very difficult for Greg and I for me to start this business because we had certain things in our life that we were looking to accomplish that required a really big paycheck really quickly. And I, and it would have been very hard for me to make that decision when Melissa was so young and, uh, and I had such opportunity ahead of me. And Dan, one thing I'd like to just also mention to the listeners, is that, you know, I'm going to be hosting a webcast on Thursday night. That webcast, I want to go into a lot of detail about strengths, and especially for those with an entrepreneurial bent. I'm going to spend a lot of time on how you can really assess best whether or not your strengths will lend itself to entrepreneurialism. All right, awesome. Now, how can people access that information? 
for that webinar, Deb? Yeah, the URL for that is leadwithyourstrength.com. So leadwithyourstrength.com. All right, wonderful. So there's that coming up. Uh, we've got the group in 48days.net, Discovering My Best Focus. What are some of the common things? I mean, we've covered pretty much a broad array of things. Are those the kind of things that are ongoing discussions in your group there? Absolutely. And and I think the other thing, too, is for many of us, you know, if you're not already plugged into a group on 48 Days, find the one that, that really speaks to what you need at the moment. Maybe instead of joining, you know, 14 different groups, find one or two and really maximize what you can get out of that group and what you can contribute to that group and then drop one and add another one and then drop one and add another one so that you can really use your time well. It's especially important for people that are in traditional jobs that are looking to launch a business on the side and uh, and our time might be somewhat limited. You know, Debbie, you touched on something here that's really important. You and I were on a call earlier today in another setting where we talked about the idea of both contributing and receiving, and that's important for group involvement here. If somebody is just, you know, hit and run, they're just looking to, to get, uh, that makes it pretty tough to be seen as a valued member. But those who are willing to share their perspective, no matter where you think you are in terms of your own success path, you know, just having a, the ability, the willingness to offer your perspective brings great value to your participation as a group. Deb, tell us what you're involved in. What what are you doing big? What do you see for next year for yourself? Oh, well, I'm involved in a few different things. You know, being dewired, <laughs> I like to be in control. So I am, uh, today I coach clients one-on-one. I have a group coaching uh, that I do seasonally. And then I also do a lot of corporate work. So you know, larger companies will bring me in to help work with their leadership team to help them to be able to round out their group, round out the skill level of their group, even those seasoned people with mega degrees, <laughs> and then more importantly, to help them to build the bench strength of leadership below them so that the organization can scale themselves to growth because they have leaders seated throughout the company. So that's where I spent a lot of my time. And then, you know, my big plans for the future, Dan, is right now I am an equity partner in two other businesses or business projects, and I'm looking to to hit the number 10. So my big goal in the next two years is to actually be, you know, either in an equity partnership or a regular partnership in projects or businesses where my strengths will serve that extraordinarily well and that that group of folks is a values match for me and my family and what we do. And did I understand you correctly? You want to get that number up to 10? Yes, sir. Oh, interesting. Wow. Okay. Now that, you know, we're going to wrap up with that. But that's a really interesting piece that you put out there because you're not trying to build a traditional company, duplicate what you came out of. You want to stay very free, flexible, but you're you're positioning yourself to still experience the benefits of the efforts of a lot of people just in a very non-traditional way. Exactly. Yeah, very cool. Well, Deb, you already said that people can get involved in your group, 40days.net. We have strengthleader.com. Is that the best way to see what you're doing and connect with you? Yes, sir. It certainly is. 
All right. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for carving time out of your busy schedule to spend it with us and to share so freely as you have. I think our listeners are better off as a result of uh, hearing all the information that you shared tonight. So, Deb, thank you for that. Thank you so much, Dan. It was an honor. And and for folks who are in the chat box, I'm going to jump into the chat box in about three minutes. How wonderful. Well, there you go. If you're over there with Alan Jackson and want to continue the conversation with Deb, you can do that. But with that here, to stay true to our time, we put these in archives so people can go back and listen to them. We've had a, a lot of great people in here in the last few weeks, like Debbie Dearman, Kamanji Constable, Michael Hyatt, Andy Traub. These are all members of 48days.net, Jay Peroni, Alan Jackson, Tony DiLorenzo, Pierce Mars, and a whole bunch more. Anyway, we've got a, a, a growing library of archive material with succinct topical areas like we covered here tonight. So make sure you take advantage of that as you need it to grow your own success path. So anyway, thanks for being part of this community, all of you who are involved. Thanks for being on the call tonight with that. We'll go out with a little you too. Have a beautiful day. The heart is a glow. Shoots up to the stony ground. There's no room. No space to end in this town. You're out of luck. And the reason that you had to care, the traffic is down. And you're not moving anywhere. You thought you found a friend. To take you out of this place. Somewhere you can land a hand in return for grace. It's a beautiful day.